I trust God that you are alive and awake this morning. We thank God, we thank God, we thank God, we thank God. Let's get to work this morning. Yes, come with me, please, if you don't mind, to the book of Luke, chapter 7. Luke 7. We read Luke and Matthew, but I'm going to focus mainly on Luke. You read Matthew just to pick up a few things from there. And um, I would also not be measuring so much on the differences in the account because I'm focusing on Luke. To God be the glory. How many of us sometimes find it very challenging because the rules and the systems and stuff put in place that you're supposed to, you know, supposedly, those man-made rules put in place, or sometimes people say, well, this is how it's supposed to be done. And you find yourself not being able to because you don't kind of fit in or you don't probably qualify. Or you want to get somewhere and they tell you, well, because you don't fit these characteristics, you don't qualify to be in here. You don't have A, B, C, so you can't do this. You are not tall enough. You are not big enough. You know, you know, you know something enough. You don't have this, so you can't do this. God has a word for you this morning. Hallelujah. To really understand what I'm talking about and to get what God is saying here this, to us this morning, I want you to come with me to this chapter where we are introduced to a centurion who approaches Jesus indirectly. Here in this chapter 7 of Luke, the Bible makes us to understand that Jesus has finished all his sayings. All the teaching that he was doing, you call it, uh, Matthew will call it the, in Matthew we call it the Sermon on the Mount. But in Luke, it's more like the Sermon on the Plain, because it was on the plain field in Luke. And um, he's finished this saying, all these teachings, and he enters Capernaum. Capernaum happens, it's apparently, I mean, uh, oh, Ca Capernaum has assumed the, the, um, has assumed the state of being the city of Jesus. It's like his, his headquarters. Wherever he goes, he comes back there. Capernaum, a very wonderful place for Jesus. And when he enters Capernaum, or, or when he comes into the town, it's reported that a certain centurion's servant who was dear to him, verse 2, was sick and ready to die. So that means the whole story is going to be about this centurion and the sick servant because that's what we are introduced to straight away.
And when he had heard of Jesus, that's the centurion, when he has heard of Jesus, he sent to Jesus elders of the Jews, beseeching him that he will come and heal his servant. I have always had a problem with this verse 3. That who does this man think he is? You know? Why don't you go to Jesus yourself? Right, okay. But the man was a very respectful man. And when they came to Jesus, they besought him instantly, saying that he was worthy for whom he should do this. For he loveth our nation, and he's built us a synagogue. Then Jesus went with them, and when he was now not far from the house, the centurion now sent his friends to him, saying unto him, Lord, trouble not thyself, for I am not worthy that thou shouldest enter under my roof. So, you, you, I'm not sure if you notice verse 3. In verse 3, you were the one who told these people to beseech him that he will come and heal your servant. Right? Look at the verse 3. I want you to work with me in this passage today. And Jesus responds to this invitation. He's coming. When he's close to your house, you now send other message to say, actually, don't come. And the reason is this. He says, trouble not yourself to come to me. Why? Because... I am not worthy that thou shouldest enter under my roof. Praise God. Wherefore, neither thought I myself worthy to come to thee. But say in a word, and my servant shall be healed. Something promising there. Well, but then why? Anyway, okay. Let's keep going. For I am a man set under authority, having under me soldiers and all that. Right, okay. Okay, let's go, let, let, let's go into the subject. A centurion is basically a Roman soldier. We, we, it refers to, it brings to mind the word hundred. So generally it is, Assume that a centurion has under about 100 soldiers under him, whom he commands. But practically, a centurion will really have about 60 or 80 people are under him. But he's still called a centurion. And um, a little bit about the Romans. When we're talking about a Roman soldier... We are talking about a man who is stern, hard, brutal, not very nice, who engages in this pagan worship. So their worship is not really anything to talk, 
to write home about. Their worship is really horrible and shameful. And they are also very immoral. Their lifestyle is nothing to really write home about either. They're not nice people. They are very capricious, I must say. And he's been sent specifically with his soldiers to make sure that there's order in the town he's been posted. He's not there for friendly, you know, conversation with him. He is there to make sure that there's order in that city. To basically stamp out anyone who misbehaves. That is his, that's the reason why he's, 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 he's there. And under the Roman rule, they, they, they had what we call garrisons, like barracks, you know, at various places. And Capernaum had one of them. So this happened to be a Roman soldier who was in that area. Right. And it said that he also had a servant. Had a servant who was dear to him. That's, a very, that's very interesting, that a Roman soldier having a servant who was dear to him. Because couldn't care much about you, a servant. Number one, the servant, the, the, the proper word is slave. A slave. And this slave was probably a young boy who's been, who's been sold on the market and he's bought him. Right? So he's paid money for this slave who, who serves him. Now, but there are some things to be said here. He says, dear unto him. These Roman soldiers, because of the nature of their work, under the law of their Roman, whatever law, they, they're not supposed to marry. They are supposed to remain as they came into the army or whatever. Why? Because the nature of the work is that they don't need to be, you know, to be destructed and, oh, oh, no, don't go, no, it's, no, 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 no. They, when they are told to go, they just get up and go. With no, not thinking about anybody behind them. Oh, I've left husband and wife. No, you don't care for, just get up and go. So oftentimes you would realize that a Roman soldier would adopt, would um, maybe their the slave or servant, they will now adopt them, they become their sons or whatever, right? So that was a kind of situation, but this, this servant or slave is not adopted. If he was, it would have been said so. So he was still a servant. Now, because they didn't have such, they didn't have any wife or didn't have any children of their own, the slaves or servants who work for them, oftentimes they work, if they, if they stay in the house and work for a very long time, they develop affection for one another, and then they become so close. And especially when they cook your food, wash your dishes, do all things for, for, for you, you tend to rely upon them for everything in the house. So some of them get too close and they become dear. As I said about this slave here, become a dear friend, or a, yeah, a, dear, a, dear, a dear slave. So, Matthew tells us this slave who was dear to the centurion, Fell sick and he was sick of the palsy. Basically, this was a sickness that got it, 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 it's a very uh, destructive sickness. It, it's got something to do with the heart. It's so painful that it often leads to death. 
And as it was said here, he was sick nigh unto death. So this man was really concerned about his slaves or his servant, whom he depends upon so much for his day-to-day affairs. Possibly he's the one that, cook, that, that cooks his meals. And to get a very faithful slave, one who will serve you dearly and with warm heart, is something hard to come by. So can't afford to lose this. But it tells something about the man anyway. Right? So we have a picture of who a Roman soldier is. But then, for this man to have an affection for a slave, we begin to get an idea of who this man is. Then he says, when he heard of Jesus, right? Verse 3. He heard of Jesus. He heard of Jesus. When he heard of Jesus, heard something about Jesus. I'll come to, I'll come to, 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 to this later on. But he hears something about Jesus, and then he sends elders of the Jews to go to him, to beseech him to come and heal his slave or his servant. And these Elders of the Jews, elders, leaders of the Jewish nation, re- re- respond and, and go. How does he have the does he to do that? Well, what they say when they go to Jesus tells you why they responded. When they go to Jesus in verse 4 and 5, they tell us that, they tell Jesus, this man is worthy of whom you should, I mean, he's a, he's a worthy man. He's a man that deserves you to heal his slave. Why? He loves our nation to the extent that he's even built us, as, built us a synagogue. Now, you might take it for granted building a synagogue. Building a, a according to archaeological um, find, findings, is that there, there, there is a remains of some white marble synagogue. In Capernaum, which people believe that it was probably this one that this man built for them. They're very nice synagogue. A synagogue is a, like a, a little a little house of God where they met where, where they met to fellowship or for, for worship of God. Those who cannot go to Jerusalem. Right. So this man built this for them. Now let's understand. To build a house or, or to build something for people, for the Jewish nation to worship God, it's not an easy thing. Number one, to own a slave costs a lot of money. But he has one. And then also to build, to build something, to build for the people to worship their God, it must be that this man used his savings to do this work for them. It was not money that he took from the coffer. He can't take money like, like that. Like just go put his hands in the Roman coffers, take the money and then get. No. It will be his personal funds. So his personal funds to finance this project. And he does that for the people. So that begin to tell us an idea of his man. Now why would you do that? He loves our people. Now remember, he's there to make sure... He stumps out anyone who is out of order. He's, me- he's there to control the people. He's, me- he's there to enforce that Roman harsh rule and law in the place. But here he is 
building a synagogue for them to worship. So you get a picture of the man's character. Right? Then he loves our nation and has built us a, built us a synagogue. They tell Jesus, the man is worthy. The man is worthy. And the word worthy appears about three times in this passage. This short passage. He's worthy. So they in the verse, in the verse, um, praise God. In verse 4. They say to Jesus, the man is worthy to come and heal his slave or his servant. But in verse 6, he says to Jesus, I am not worthy. I am not worthy for you to come under my roof. And then in verse 7, he repeats it. <laughs> I am not worthy for you to come under my roof. And I myself... I'm not worthy, verse 7, I'm not worthy to come to you. So as a person, I'm not worthy, and my home is not worthy to have you. But the elders of the Jewish people said, he is worthy. But he himself two times says to Jesus, I'm not worthy. So what is going on here? Right. <laughs> So let's understand something. It all has to, it has to do it has to do with the Jewish system. Because of what he's done, he's a lovely man. We understand he his his servant is dear unto him. He cares so much about his servant. Normally, if people are in authority, like a Roman soldier who are brutal, have no regard for any person, if a slave is about dying, just die off and I'll get an another one, something like that. But he's, 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 he's concerned about the healing of his dear servant or slave. Secondly, he's taking his own savings to build, let's call a building, for the Jewish people to worship their God. In there. And he's not a proselyte either. It, it, it doesn't say he's a proselyte. A proselyte is someone who has, a Gentile who has converted to the Jewish faith. He hasn't. He still remains a centurion and a pagan. But he does this for, for them. So indeed, it reveals something. So he can't be a wicked man. The best we could say about this man is that he's a generous man. He's kind and generous. That's the inference we, or the conclusion that we can draw here. A good man. Why then does he say he's not worthy? He himself is not worthy and his home is not worthy. Right. Now the reason he sent the elders of the Jews is this. In the ancient Mediterranean um, cult, cult, culture, they believed in what we call reciprocal service. 
And it is this. If you want something from somebody, let's say you want something from somebody who is very high, and you know you can't go directly, you look for people who are a bit closer to the person. And then you come to them, you come through them, and they will go and speak for you. Isn't, isn't that the case? And it is, very, it is very likely that he has done that for the elders of the Jewish people many times. They can go to the Caesar. They can go to the emperor. So he would oftentimes have to go for them, speak for them. For him to build a synagogue for them would mean many times he has probably many, many times represented them. And here he also is in need. So he also calls them and says, you know, guys, this is your Jesus. You know, I can't approach him. Can you go to him for me, please? So they also respond. They didn't even wait. And when they come to Jesus, the Bible says instantly, the moment they, they saw Jesus, they didn't even wait for anything. Instantly, please come and help this man. He loves our nation. He's a good man. Come and help him. But when he's on the way coming, the man now says, he gets a wind that the, that the master is coming. And he says, no, don't come. Uh, 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 don't come. Why? Because I'm not, my home is not qualified. My home is not proper for you. Now, what, why this? What is this? What is, what, what is going on here? It is this. The Jewish people or people, they had certain rituals, certain laws, certain certain rules and regulations that they follow. There are certain foods that they eat, certain things that the Gentiles do that they don't do. Now those things that the Gentiles do or the food that they, that they, that they, that they eat, those foods make the Gentiles unclean in the eyes of the Jewish person. Following so, so, so far? So their, their way of life, the gentle way of life, practices, and the way that what they do in their homes makes them, so a Jewish leader, rabbi, which Jesus was, would not come into the home. The Jewish leaders will not come there because if they do, they will be defiling themselves. You know, you know, the, the one time Jesus was, was invited by a man called Simeon, a Pharisee. And as Jesus was, Christ, Jesus was, was eating in his, in his house, a woman comes with, with an, an alabaster uh, bottle and begins to wipe Jesus' feet with, his, with, her, with her tears and wash Jesus' feet with her, with her, with her hair. And Simeon said, if this man is, if, if this Jesus was really a true prophet, he would have known what kind of woman is this. That is, it was unacceptable for a woman to be touching a rabbi's feet like that. No. They are holy people, holy man. So, this centurion, considering his life, his gentle life, way of, way of life, and considering how these Jewish rabbis live, they are outwardly, they are holy. They live certain disciplined lives. 
they, they, they eat certain food, they wash their hands before they eat, and all that. Certain, but you Gentile just go into your house and, and eat. It makes you un, unclean. So a Jewish rabbi won't enter the house, and this centurion, whose name is never even mentioned, his, but his association with these elders of the Jewish nation respects that. So, here's the thing. He has respect for the Jewish elders or religion. That's the reason why he would have built even a synagogue for them to worship. So he respects that. These people live a separated lifestyle. I respect it's, it's, it's very, very honorable. They are honorable people. Their devotion, their, the way they order themselves is very wonderful. And I know I can't, I can't do that. I'm a Roman soldier at the, at the, at the, at the end of the day. I can't match that kind of life, 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 lifestyle. And my home is not even good for them to even visit me. It is for that reason he, say, he says about himself, I am not worthy. I'm not worthy. And my home is not proper for you to come. But I want your healing for my servant. So then the centurion, whose name is not mentioned, and the servants, whose name is also not mentioned, has a great dilemma. It's indeed a great dilemma. I want your healing, but I also don't want to disrespect my friends. The elders were probably taking him there to the home because they were making an exception for this man. But the man would not, the man would not, for the sake of what he wants, disrespect their religion. How then does he get his healing? This is the question. And this is where we start our service today. Hallelujah. How does this man overcome this problem? How does he get around it? The Bible says in verse 3, he says, And when he heard of Jesus, he sent, he heard. That means when he heard about the things that he was doing, the things he's done, he pondered and wondered and said, who can this person be? If he is so and he is this, if he is that and he is that, then I believe that he, if he can heal leprosy, if he can cure these diseases, if he can do all these wonderful things, which is beyond my imagination, then this man must be something. I need him. But he's, a Jewish, but he's a Jewish rabbi. Because at the, at the end of the day, Jesus was a Jew. He's a Jewish rabbi. So how do I get him to come and lay hands? Also, in his, probably in his wondering, in his pondering, he recognizes that Jesus in his healings, Jesus does not use any magic wand. 
He doesn't come and, you know, have some fair, some fair one in his, in his, in his hand and goes, glug, 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 He doesn't do that. Neither does he come with any charms. Neither does he come, you know, to sprinkle some powder on your body, you know, throw some incense on you. He doesn't do any of these things. He noticed something. He noticed something. Hallelujah. And that's what I want us to come to have a look at right now. Come with me. He noticed something. So in the verse 7, uh, sorry, chapter 7, in the verse 7, yes, in the verse 7, he says the, the B part, the B part, he says, I thought myself not worthy for you to come, but say in a word... And my servant shall be healed. Then, this is not his reason. He says, For I also am a man set under authority, having under me soldiers, and I say unto one, Go, and he goeth. And to another, Come, and he cometh. And to my servant, Do this, and he does it. Hallelujah. He said, I am, a, I am also a man. Speak your word only. For I also am a man set under authority. And when I say to this one, go, he goes. When I say to that one, come, he comes. What is the man saying here? This is what the man is saying. The man is saying this. I am a centurion. Above me are the tribunes who oversee legions of soldiers. Above my tribune is... is it's, it's Machiliak, who's in charge of about a thousand soldiers. They're all above me. Above all these pe people are the emperor. And you see, when the emperor issues a command, the emperor doesn't live in Capernaum. But when he sends his command, it comes through Machiliak to my tribune and it comes to me. And I tell my soldiers, and they follow exactly what the emperor has said. You see, so the man found a way out. Hallelujah. I can't get him to come into my home. I can't become a proselyte right now. I can't become a Jew. I'm not a Jew. I can't become a proselyte and I can't get him to come into my home. But what can I see? I can see that this man does things by his words. And you see, just like my, my, my emperor or Kiliak or, or, or my tribune gives me command from wherever they are. And I follow it. And my soldiers also make sure that they follow whatever I have commanded them. So when they are doing whatever I have told them to do, they are basically following the word or the command that the emperor far away in Rome has given unto me. But you, Jesus, you are even different. These are... The commands we receive are commands just to govern the city. But my, my emperor cannot tell sickness to, to go away. My emperor cannot tell diseases to, to go away. My emperor cannot tell madness to go away. By you, Jesus, I can see something about you. There is something about you. You seem to be sovereign. You seem to be more than a human being. You seem to be more than a normal person. Ah, but so if you, if you, wherever you are, you don't need to come to my home. Wherever you are, you can give your word. 
speak your word, wherever you are, you can speak it. Your word knows no distance. Distance is the key thing here. Distance. Your word does not know any, you see, your authority. You've got power and authority over everything on the earth because you command winds and they obey you. You tell the sea to be quiet and it does. That means you are authoritative. That means all these things are subject. They're all subject to you. You are more than a man. Your words are something. Your words carry authority. That even things that are not human obey you. So this sickness, if you can say, servant be healed. My servant, healing is one of your subjects. Healing will go speedily and make sure that it accomplishes whatever you sent it to do. And the sickness... Or disease, whatever it is, it will not try to dis- disobey because you have spoken. So speak your word. Speak your word. Speak your word. And my servant shall be healed. Now let me tell you something. What the man stumbled upon was not coincidental. Hallelujah. What a man did or stumbled upon was not just by chance. Hallelujah. Praise God. It was the foretaste of what God was about to do for you and me. I would like to say to you that the centurion and his servant, they were both Gentiles. They represent the entire Gentile nations. According to the Jewish system, Gentiles are not qualified to come into their dwelling or even to worship with with them. To worship with them, you need to become a proselyte. For them to come into your home, certain things must be cut off from your home. Begin to live a, a certain lifestyle. But God was changing the order. Oh, hallelujah. I said, God was changing the order. A new order was coming through. God was bypassing the old system. Well, you know, you have to obey some Jewish laws in order to become acceptable and to benefit from the healing power of God Almighty. The healing miracle of Christ Jesus. For you to be healed by Jesus, you ought to be, you know, part of his group, the Jewish people. No, but God was changing it. God was changing the order. You don't have to now wear certain gowns, eat certain foods, obey certain customs and laws belonging to a particular group to enjoy the miracle working for power of God Almighty. God was doing away with an old system. God was putting that system away by what happened here. It shows what the ministry 
of Jesus is all about. It's, a, it's not about fitting into some mold. Because today, there are many religions in our world. Each one with its own way or formula of accessing God. But Jesus, in this story, is telling us, God has done away with all these ways of contacting God. God has now set up a new system. And this new system is this. The new system is simply you and me becoming persuaded. Hallelujah. Becoming persuaded by the word of God. Becoming convinced. This centurion came to the place and said, Do you know what? Speak your word only. I have come to the understand. I have come, uh, I have become persuaded that your word, your word, your word, when you speak it, your word carry the healing power. There's healing. There's healing in your word. It will heal only if you speak it. It will bring healing. It will bring healing. No longer are you to sit back anymore from this time forth. You no longer have to, have to, have to say, well, I haven't got this qualification. I haven't got this title. I'm not called a pastor. I'm not called prophet. I'm not called deacon. I'm not called that. All those things. People think that by coming into, into those things, then they can access God. But God is saying, nah, forget about that. Perish those thoughts. It is no longer titles, no longer labels, no longer some rituals, no longer. If only you can hear my word, if only you have what I say and become persuaded, become convinced that yes, I am able. What he was saying was that Jesus, your authority is supreme. You are, you are, you are, you, your, the, your, your authority and the authority of your word is above everything. Whatever is needed that needs to be changed in your life is not going to be changed because you became something. It's going to be changed because you believe in the authority of Jesus and his word. That when he speaks, every mountain goes down. When he speaks, sicknesses They obey. Whatever healing you need, whatever miracle that is needed in your life, when he speaks his word, it contains a healing power. We need to become persuaded. This man had become persuaded. 
He said, don't come to my house. I didn't even feel qualified enough to come to you. Speak your word only. It doesn't matter where God is. It doesn't matter where you are. And guess what? Verse 9. Jesus Christ turned and said, Jesus Christ marveled and said, Whoa! He said, He marveled and said, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith. No, not in Israel. I haven't found it. Marveled here does not mean surprised. It's just that he was excited about it. Hallelujah. He was excited. Why was he excited? Because this is the reason why he has come. Praise God. This is the reason why Christ came to the earth. He came so that you and me will be delivered from the ritual of certain cultures and religions. That we will not think that we need to rise to some order in order to, to, you know, to experience the goodness of God. That we can experience God just by becoming persuaded in our hearts about the truths of His Word. Do you believe the Word? When God speaks his word, do you believe it? The comforting words of Christ Jesus, do we believe it? Do we believe that the word will do whatever it's meant to be? That is what Jesus was excited about. This is the reason why I have come. I have not come to give you a religion, some rituals to follow, to get to God. But I've brought a come to introduce you to the living word of God. That if you can come to the place where my word, my word now means so much to you. What I speak means more than everything to you. You will change. You will change. You will change. You will change. You will change your environment. You will change your life. You will change your ministry. You will change your family here. You will change your marriage here. You will change your business. You will change all those things. You will change them. Why? Because the healing power of God is not in ordinances or rituals or titles, but it is in the living word of God Almighty. Become persuaded. Become persuaded. Hallelujah. You see, it is good to be generous. Amen. It is good to be generous. It is good to be kind. But it is better to become persuaded at the healing power of God. That the word of God, that the word of God will heal, will bring healing. We live in a sick pagan society. We live in a sick, paganistic society by the healing which this centurion and the servant represented. 
But the solution to this sick, paganistic society, the solution is not in rules and regulations. The, the cure is in the power of God's word. There's healing virtues in the word of God that we need. Let us we need to let a centurion, you and me, we need to help send the healing word of God. The word of God we carry the healing to our sick world. We need to to see our world healed. Our world is sick and dying. Our world is decaying. Our world is morally bankrupt. The morals and the values are bad. They are decaying. But the solution is in the word of God. It is able to change. It's able to bring the stop the decay and bring the healing. Verse 10 says, when they went home, the servant was whole. Hallelujah. The servant had become well. Our sick society can be healed. You're dealing with some sick child whose mind is sick. Or some sick boss. Or with some, or with some psychopaths. Hey, the word of the living God is a healing. Let's help send the word. Let's help spread the word. The centurion helped. He said, send your word only. And there shall be healing. Let's come to that place. You and me, let's come to that place. Let's become helpers of sending the living word. Hallelujah. To our sick society. Thieves, rapists, all kinds of evil in our society. But the word of the living God carries a healing power for our society. Our governments can't do it by, legis by legislation. Rules can't do it. Rules can't do it. Prisons have never done it. They will not do it. No kind of correction can do it. Except the authority. Except the healing. The healing in the word of God. Is a solution. Whether in your own personal life or in the life of another, the solution, the key is in the living word of God. Let's become persuaded. Let's become persuaded. Hallelujah. Praise God. The apostle Paul said this. He said, I am fully persuaded. Romans 4 21 and said I am fully persuaded that what he has promised he is able to do it hallelujah praise God Romans 8 38 he said for I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come shall separate me or us from the love of God. Hallelujah. Praise God. Maybe the enemy has been telling you, speaking things in your mind, telling you, you're going to be destroyed. You, you won't amount to anything. You're going to say, hey, devil, I am fully persuaded. I am fully persuaded. I am fully persuaded. Neither height nor depth or principality or demon. 
nothing shall be able to separate me from God's love. God's love towards me is secure. Hallelujah. And nothing. God loves me. And I will become all that God ever dreamt of me to become. The reason why God put me here on this earth shall be accomplished. Someone said, yes, God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That yes. I shall be all that God has ever spoken. This is a truth of Luke 7, 1 to 10. To tell us that God is no longer going by titles and priests and rules and laws. But hey, confidence, persuasion in his living world. That God loves me. Oh, the enemy is bombarding your mind with all kinds of stuff. But you want to say, neither death, nothing, nothing, even if it means death, God's love for me is supreme. I hold on to it. Persuasion means to become convinced. Praise God. Persuasion means to settle in your mind that God is the final authority. And when he gives his word, nothing shall be able to stand against his word. Persuasion means if God has said it, if God has said it, that settles it, nothing shall stand against it. It shall be as God has said. Oh, hallelujah. Praise God. Paul again said, he said this. I know and I am persuaded by, by the Lord Jesus that there's nothing clean or unclean in itself. Praise God. Oh, Paul was full of persuasions. Full of persuasions. Amen. And then he says something in 2 Timothy 1 verse 12. He said, for the which cause I suffer all these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed for I know whom I have believed. And I am persuaded, hallelujah, that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day, hallelujah. I am not ashamed and I will not be ashamed. Tell yourself and tell the enemy, I will not be ashamed. I have believed Christ. I have become a Christian. The road is challenging. The road is tough. The going is hard. But I am persuaded. I will not be put to shame. I will not be ashamed. My God will not put me to shame. I will not come into rooms. My life will not be a laughing stock. Men will not look and say, Ah, look at him. He's a man to nothing. No, my God is too good. My God will come through. His word is faithful. My God is faithful and his word will surely be accomplished in my life. Come rain, come shine. Come high waters. Come high waters. Come high waters. I will swim. Come shine. Come the sun. Come the fire. I won't be burned. Put me in the burning furnace. I will come out on skid. I will come out with any fire, any smoke on me. I will survive, I will stand, I will flourish. Why? Because God's word has got living power in it, has got potential in it. It will sustain me, it will keep me, it will lift me up above the waters. Praise 
be to God. Praise. And Hebrews 11 verse 13 says, Hebrews 11 verse 13, and I'll end with this. He says, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were persuaded, hallelujah, they were persuaded and they embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims here on this earth. They were persuaded and they embraced. Whatever God was saying to them, whatever God declared unto them, they embraced it. Embraced it. They embraced They held on to it. They did not allow anything else to talk them out of it. That is to become fully persuaded. Hold on to tight. Tell your neighbor, hold on to tight. Hold on tight. Hold on tight. Whatever comforting word that the Lord has put in your spirit. Hold on. Tell, tell someone, hold on tight. Hold on tight. Tell someone, say, hold on tight. Hold on tight, God's word. Hold on tight. Whatever God has said to you, any comforting word, any assuring word, I double dare you. Hold on tight. Hold on tight, hallelujah. Hold on to it tightly, for my God will come through for you. In the valley, he will come. On the mountain, he will come. In the sea, he will come. In the fire, he will come. Hold on tightly. In the midst of the challenges, the storm may be blowing. Hallelujah. You may be here on the storm. In the ship on the storm. It may be so bad for you. But hey, my God, his comforting word will come. He will say, peace, be still. And you shall be peace. Hallelujah. Oh, my God. God is good. Praise God. God is good. Praise God. He is good. If it needs coming on the water to, to, to save you, he will walk on the water to, to, to save you. His word will not fail. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. His word is true. His word is powerful. And it doesn't matter where you are because Jesus doesn't need to be there physically to touch you. Some people are waiting for someone to come and touch them. Some apostle, some prophet, some deacon, some whatever to come and touch them. Some angel to come and stir the waters. You need no angel. All you need is the living word of God. Hallelujah. The comforting word of God. The promising word of God. The faithful word of God. That's all you need. Hallelujah. For God is faithful. And my God is authority. Nothing, nothing, nothing shall by any means stand against you. Hallelujah. Like he told Joshua. Nothing shall by any means stand against you. You shall conquer and conquer and be victorious in me. Glory be to God. Finally, if my God has said, no weapon. <laughs> if my God has said, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. So shall it be. Let me give you the context as I close. Let's be on our feet, please. And let me give you the context as I close. 
in the context God says to the people he said I made a blacksmith I made a blacksmith and I made all kinds of instruments all I'm a work all weapons I know of the blacksmiths I know of the weapons I know all the kind all the things I know I know them all but I say to you on the authority of my own name and authority of my own word I say unto you that no weapon formed against you shall prosper hallelujah they can devise them from any land anywhere they want to but no weapon formed against you shall prosper give God a hand clap of friend and give God a shout Oh, we worship you, Lord. Maybe you've been listening to me all this morning and you're not born again. You don't know Jesus because all your life you've been wondering who is right? Which religion should I turn to? This morning, what I've come to tell you is this you need no religion. Religion is not a key. What you need is trust in Jesus and trust in God. Hallelujah. God wants to heal. God wants to heal situations in your life. It may be your body, it may be sickness, it may be something in your life. God wants to heal it. But the key is you becoming convinced and persuaded and confident his word, his competent word will do it. He said, I'm the God that healeth thy diseases and taking away and taking away your sicknesses. You want to believe in that. Amen. You want to become fully persuaded that God is your healer. Hallelujah. He's the authority in the whole of the world, the whole of the universe. So this morning you want to turn to him and say, Lord Jesus. I surrender to your authority and to your, and to your word. Save me, heal me, and deliver me. And maybe you, are, maybe you are hearing me. You say, well, I'm already born again. God bless your heart. Amen. But some situations in your life are dead, are, 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 are almost dying. Things around you are almost dying. Jesus Christ is saying to you, the words I've spoken unto you, those comforting words, get back to them. If you wrote them down, get back to them. If you remember them, get back to them and focus upon them. Believe them. Hold on tight onto them. Become persuaded that yes, the healing in the world will give you that miracle you'll be waiting for God for. You want to pray and say, Lord God, I trust your word. 
Whatever God has told you that maybe you've forgotten. You want to say, Lord, you want, you want to pray to him and say, you want, you, you want to pray to him and return to that word. You want to show your heart. You want to encourage your heart one more time with all that God has, because whatever God says is forever. Bible says whatever God says is forever. So if God told you last year, beginning of the, of the year, he will not give you another. It's the same word. The same word. It is still efficacious. It is still powerful. It's still potent. It's potential. Never dies. Trust that word. In the name of Jesus. Amen. In the name of Jesus. Father, thank you for hearing our prayer. Amen. Amen. And God bless. You want to put your hand on your chest and say, I believe. I believe. I embrace. I embrace. I accept. I accept. Every word that God has spoken. That God has spoken. Concerning my life. Concerning my in life. any aspect of my life. To come to pass in the name of Jesus. Because if he has spoken it, he will do it. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. What a word for the season. What a word for the season. What a word for the season. Let's give God a clap offering. Praise the Lord. We need this so much. His living word. And we cannot. I heard um, Sister Lydia saying, hold tight. We cannot but to hold on tight because God is faithful to his word. Hallelujah. The word of God, I must say to you, is quick and active. The word of God is living. The word of God is not just a mere written text. The word of God is living. It's a living thing. When the word of God proceeds, when it comes out from the mouth of God, as Matthew puts it, when it comes out from the mouth of God, it is a living and active word, powerful, able to effect change and change things. It is not a dead letter. God's word is living. I am talking about the word that proceeds from the mouth of the living God. It is active, it is powerful.